As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 89. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Baku, Sevilla, Amsterdam, Glasgow, München, Sankt Petersburg, Bukarest, Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Unbelievable. Yes. Football Show. Day four at Euro 2020 in Scotland are in the shick after Patrick's Perla. Spain pass and pass and pass and miss against Sweden, while Slovakia versus Poland features a breakout performance from Emma Hayes. We'll also preview Tuesday's action as the much-anticipated Group of F gets underway. That's all to come on this episode of the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, back again as Euro 2020 rolls on. I'm joined for this latest tour of Europe by the analyst from The Analyst, Opta Joe, Oily Sailor, a man of many monikers and a friend of ours. It's Duncan Alexander. Hi, Duncan. Hello, Matt. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. I, th- I thought you'd enjoy that vaguely Sopranos adjacent anti intro yes. there. Also with us from The Athletic and its non-award-winning Chelsea podcast, straight out of Cobham, Dominic <laughs> Fifield. Um Presumably, Dom, you were rooting for Poland earlier, given that they're the Eagles, but then Sweden are Palace's international soulmates. I tell you what, that that was a, a Roy Hodgson-esque Swedish performance. That was like watching Crystal Palace last season. That absolutely created two really good chances with 21% of the ball. Absolutely perfect. He would have been sitting at his... Uh, at his Riverside place in Richmond, purring at that. And the only thing that was missing really was Ray Lewington in shorts bellowing over the crowd noise from the sidelines. It was <laughs> superb. 
if only Sweden had had Christian Benteke, it still would have finished nil-nil, etc. And so on. <laughs> um, right, since we last met, we've, we've heard from Christian Eriksen, who continues to recover from the cardiac arrest he suffered on Saturday. He released a brief statement on Monday morning in which he said, Thank you. I won't give up. I feel better now, but I want to understand what's happened. And meanwhile, the Denmark coach Kasper Yulman has said he now believes Saturday's game against Finland shouldn't have been restarted after the incident. Kasper Schmeichel feels the same. The Danes' next match is against Belgium on Thursday. Uh, elsewhere, on last night's pod, we wondered what had got Marko Arnautovic so angry after he scored in Austria's defeat of North Macedonia. Reports stated he directed his fury at some North Macedonian players who've got Albanian roots, allegedly using some ripe and racially insensitive language. Uh, this prompted the former Stoke and West Ham man to issue a statement on social media. He said... There were some heated words yesterday in the emotions of the game, for which I'd like to apologise, especially to my friends from North Macedonia and Albania. I'd like to say one thing very clearly. I'm not a racist. I have friends in almost every country and I stand for diversity. Everyone who knows me is aware of that. Um, Dom, the old I have friends, etc. and so on, is never a, never a good line. And, and I feel like we've probably not heard the last of this. No, I imagine it will rumble on. It's yeah, it's uh, as you say that you, you do wince a bit when you hear that particular excuse used. But we'll see where it goes. It's the old if you're typing out "I am not a racist" on Instagram stories, it's you know posing more <laughs> questions than you're trying to answer. So uh, yeah, we should probably move on to Monday's action, starting in Glasgow. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, Scotland couldn't come home too soon because they were already at home, but it wasn't the glorious return to tournament football that the Tartan Army had hoped for as they went down 2-0 to the Czech Republic at Hampden Park. About 9,000 fans in attendance, according to the BBC. 12,000 were expected. Uh, Patrick Schick put the visitors ahead just before the break. Great cross from Sue Fowl, which had West Ham supporters purring. Then, seven minutes after half-time, Schick did this. Hendry with the shorts. Now the break might be on for Patrick Schick, and look what he's trying to do. Schick, oh! Wow. Can you believe wow. what we've just seen? Out of this world from Patrick Schick. Uh, Duncan, it was the longest goal in Euros history, but but longest in actual terms rather than what young people might expect a longest goal to be. Yeah, forty-nine point seven yards, which is. Um, which is good. I mean, obviously, XG enthusiasts were outraged when they saw it because it only had a 2% chance. But um, it's, I don't know if a shot can have a theoretical 2% chance, but then about an 86% chance once you've hit it. Because I've never seen... Because that photograph where he from behind Chick, he's, he hits it way, way to the left of the goal and then it just bends and, and dips down. Yeah, and then it was obviously helped massively uh, aesthetically by the sight of David Marshall just, you know careering not into the net but just beyond the net the net the, the amount of sag the net had was extraordinary but um yeah just a a classic goal really yeah shit happens but that's not much comfort to, to david marshall how we're, many can we get in matt <laughs> oh, there'll be more don't worry um some people call it i see the bbc running a poll asking if that's the greatest goal in euros history uh that feels like a bit of recency bias i mean it was pretty special but I'm still thinking Carol Poborski. Marco Van Basten, 88, I think probably mm. probably just pips it. But it look, it was fantastic. The way that it it didn't it didn't loop into the net. It was it it careered into the back of the net from forty nine point how many? Seven yards, was it? Just yeah. just magnificent. I mean yeah, you do feel sorry for 
for David Marshall. And I guess he had to be outside his area in the, in the, in, in the, an attempt to snuff out a, a Czech counterattack, but it was a magnificent. He was very, moment. he was very far up the pitch, wasn't he? I mean, he was almost on the centre mm. circle and, and Schick did say afterwards that he had spotted that in the first half and he was kind of waiting to see if an opportunity would, would arise. Um, you know, there are players, Chabi Alonso is a good example of players who, who did kind of make a specialty of scoring that sort of goal. Um, but to do it in that game. And it's just, Scotland, you know, lots of fans of lots of different teams think that they are unlucky. You know, Spurs fans, lots of people go, oh, you know, my team is, is unlucky. Scotland genuinely are. If you look through their history of, of um, you know, tournament stuff, they really do just dr- grab uh, despair from the jaws of victory. I mean, I was looking during the Spain game, which we'll get on to, because um, it still rankles with me that Spain only scored eight goals when they won the World Cup in 2010. And I hadn't realised that Scotland scored eight goals in the group stage in 1982. Still didn't get through. It's just, you know, it was a shame because he said the atmosphere before the game was really good and, you know, first tournament game for, for so long. And, um, I mean, I guess, the you know, the upside is that they're not out yet because of the because of the structure, but it, it does look quite hard now. What was their XG, Duncan? Because they had loads of chances. They were on 1.9 to 0.9 for the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic were quite low. They they got a few chances towards the end, which which boosted it up a bit. And in an <laughs> in a normal replay of that game, not eight times, seven eight times out of ten, Scotland would have would have won or at least got a draw. But this is the reality we're in. So yeah, I I, I mean like I know <laughs> I know that's what the I, this is what I have an issue with this because I, I I still look at that Scotland team and I wonder. Yeah, they might create chances, but eight times out of ten, if they still played that team, I'm not sure they would put them away in in any of those games. I mean, they create the quality, fine, but you know, the, the temptation at the end of the game was to suggest that the Czech Republic, who have been to so many more major tournaments in the last twenty three years than Scotland have, were more simply more streetwise, and that they they knew they you knew how to rule that win that game on on that occasion. But the reality was. They won the game because they had the ruthless striker on on show. I mean, the, the first goal is a is a fantastic header. I mean, he gets up above Grant Hanley, I think, and absolutely buries it. It's a brilliant, brilliant header. I mean, you can criticise the defending and allowing Suchek to get the cross in, but he's put that away, and there was nobody really in Scottish ranks who looked anything like capable of doing the same thing. So eight times out of ten, I don't think they would have won that yeah. game with that selection. No, that's fair. I think... You know, possibly Scotland's most effective striker at the Euros is doing co-commentary for ITV. So, um, yeah. Fair shout. <laughs> um, Dom, we kind of, I say we, I mean I, bigged up Steve Clark yesterday. Did he get out street wisdomed by his opposite number? Obviously losing Kieran Tierney was a big blow, but Shea Adams looked great when he came on at half-time and, and should he have started the match? It's easy to say that afterwards, I guess. Yeah, and and... It is easy to say that, and I think I think I think Lyndon Dykes has been has been in sort of integral to how they've been playing in 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 games. And yeah, they're not picking him as a striker who's going to score them loads of goals, but he's sort of been key to to how how the team shape and how you know their targets, etc. Obviously, the when you take out one of the two world class players in in that team or potentially world class players in that team, it's going to make a massive massive difference. Robertson was superb particularly in the first half and if they'd had the option of Tierney overloading as well and and making life uncomfortable for the Czechs on that side they 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 might have caused more problems they might have 
created even better chances and and even chances that Lyndon Dykes could put away. But but as as it was, you can be critical of the substitutions. Possibly, I mean. There was a lot of outcry for Billy Gilmore, wasn't there, to get more busy, a bit, a bit, a bit of busyness in that midfield. But again, you'd be taking a risk because it's, you know, he's a kid. He's not played at a major tournament before, like like all these guys. And you know, whether they hit the ground running or not, well, you, you just don't know. But I'd imagine there will have to be changes in the, the way they approach it at, at, at Wembley later this week. Um, but I, I, I just I felt sorry for them because the sense of anticlimax was palpable and and. You know the second goal. As as much as we could all sit there and and relish the beauty of it as a as a as a as a piece of finishing, it absolutely sucked all belief out of the out of the crowd who were who'd been magnificent up to then. And God, that place rocks with with nine thousand, let alone forty thousand. And it's it's an amazing, amazing arena. But I felt for them. I felt for them. Yeah, it's a kind of not really acknowledged slight issue with these sort of quarter full grounds is that when everyone's on it at the start it does sound almost similar to when they're full but as soon as yeah as soon as the game starts going bad we saw it in the Spain game as well it suddenly goes silent and properly silent and you can really hear the players shouting and stuff so yeah I mean Andy Robertson was to back up Dom's conversion point again you know he was he kept mentioning the word clinical in the post-match interview he was obviously shall we say frustrated at his colleagues uh, inability to, to take chances so Robertson was interesting as well with particularly in that first half when he he sort of seemed to be trying to calm his teammates down and you could you could actually see him sort of just you know just take a breath and and let's let's try and get our game heads on here because he, he there was a sort of franticness about it all which which maybe I mean we've seen it in a few games in fairness a lot of teams have started very very frantically England probably started very frantically as well but but there was slightly more pattern to the way England performed in in those early exchanges and Maybe again, it comes down to shape and balance, and the fact that you've got a centre forward on the pitch who can get you goals, and and that teammates have faith that can get you goals as well. Um, because once Suchet did his 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 job on John McGinn as well, and McGinn really faded badly, like like a lot of those Scottish players, that, that doesn't didn't seem to be any way that the Scots were going to prize them apart for all that they were creating half chances left, right, and centre. That puts added pressure on Scotland ahead of the game at Wembley on Friday, but Czech Republic looking good for a place in the knockout stages. Right, next to date, we'll get to the groupie action on Monday night. Euros are here, and you'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. Yeah? If the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your book is not giving you the best rewards, switch and you'll get a completely free £5 bet builder on all England's group games. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only, men. Two plus legs online exclusive must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18plusbegambleaware.org. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. No winner in the game between Spain and Sweden in Seville, other than Slovakia, maybe. Um, Duncan, that, that first half was made for stats, if not for goals. Spain did a lot of passes. Yeah, I mean, at half-time, Spain had already completed 419 passes, which was more than England and Croatia did, for instance, in their entire game. Uh, Sweden were on 59. So, you know, they completed, I think, two passes in the f- opposition half in the first 20 minutes. Um, in the first... 13 minutes of the game, Paul Simon has many touches of the ball as Unai Simon. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a fairly uh, dominant <laughs> possession performance from uh, from Spain. But as we've seen many times in, in tournaments, they didn't really carve out that many good chances. And, you know, I know that Alvaro was pretty, pretty down on them in the preview last week and you could see why. They, they, they seem like a team that that kind of know that they they have had this scoring issue in international tournaments and it's almost like they can't change the way they're they're set up. But you could see them getting more more frustrated as, as time went by. And you know, Alvaro Morata was there doing, you know, his sort of finishes and yeah, it was it's not a disaster. I mean it's they're fine, nil nil, but it was um yeah, not the start that kind of would engender a kind of tournament belief uh, amongst supporters. We mentioned about Morata Tom, on, on yesterday's show and, and the fact that Daniel Story was saying Gerard Moreno probably deserved the start ahead of him. And, and yeah, that chance was, as Duncan says, kind of Morata's signature move, wasn't it? And every time he misses one, you just can sort of visibly see more and more confidence seeping out of him to the point where he's, he's probably got very little of it left. He shrinks, doesn't he? He sort of diminishes with each missed opportunity. And it's when he has a when he has a chance to think about what he's got to do to finish the the move or to you know to, to provide the the finish he, he, it's it almost plays in his mind and he and he chokes um but we have seen that before we saw that i mean i was i was pleasantly surprised at how he he stayed on side today which was seemed like progress from his chelsea days if i'm honest um <laughs> but but and, and and moreno did actually make a difference i know i know there was a the, the chance later on which he probably should have buried again Olsen did well to keep that one out but he just seemed a bit more of a threat. He carried more of a threat. He had more movement. He was he was he injected a bit of a bit of pace and urgency into that Spain a Spain performance that actually was meandering at the, at that point. Um, and I wonder whether that might be the way to go um, in, in in future games. I, I agree with Duncan. Obviously, it's it's very early days, and you know there's it's not it's not a disaster to draw your first game and start a tournament slowly and plenty of teams have have done that and and gone on to to win them and we we also need to make maybe it's a it's a apt reminder that this is a, a spain team it's a it'll work in progress it's it's got really young players in there they're not the finished article at all um and you know as the tournament goes on and they get more experience in this in this and and more familiarity with each other and learn to cope better with all the disruption of their their build-up, which has been huge. I mean, absolutely huge. Maybe they'll find more rhythm and and they will start opening teams up better and, and taking those opportunities. So I'm not, not worried about them particularly, but 
But I'd rather I'd rather say a magnificent defensive performance from the Swedes. Absolutely four four two. Whenever the Spain were in possession, you could just see that that the barriers being flung down. The two banks of four and those two strikers just working their socks off. And 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 to do that with without seeing any of the ball and yet hit the post and miss an open goal in the second half. Both chances created by Isaac, who looks an absolute gem, yeah. doesn't he, in the making? I mean, that's, you know. It, I thought they were fantastic, but I like that sort of thing. I know, I know most people don't, but I do. <laughs> no, I well, I, I support Wickham. I mean, that's probably the most part I've ever seen in my life from Sweden, let alone from Spain. But um, I mean, Spain, they ended the game with 830 completed passes, which is a, a Euros record, um, 1980 onwards. And yeah, I mean, it, that is a lot of passes, but... You know, Sweden had their chances. There was one just before half time where Isaac had a shot which kind of hit Lorente, which bounced onto the post and bounced straight up into Simon's hands, which was uh, fortunate. I mean, there was hilarity, wasn't there, when Isaac got substituted quite late on and people were like, no, this is, he was the good player we were enjoying. But in in a lot of ways, it made sense because if he's that good, save him for the, the other games in the group, you know, the worst thing, if he was getting tired, if he'd pulled a hamstring in that game, it would have been a disaster. So you can see why they did it. But. Yeah, it was a funny game, but um, as Dom said, I, you know, a lot of people were, were raging at the at what was happening. But I, yeah, it's quite enjoyable. They're, they're the sort of games that stick out at tournaments. Sometimes you need them. You not every game can be a kind of end-to-end classic, although we do need some of those as well. It's interesting that there's a lot of talk in the build-up about how fit this Spain was, team was going to be, and Luis Enrique had really worked on that, and they were going to be one of the fittest teams in the tournament. Well, Seb Larson's thirty-six, and he finished that game running around like a, a spring chicken. Quite frankly, I mean that 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 to me was indicative of of, of the sort of sent the spirit and the and the sense of unity in that Swedish team, and that, that's to be admired, to be honest. I didn't enjoy the pitch in that game. Did you notice it? It looked very much very like sandy, what it was. wasn't it? Well, it, it's a pitch in an athletic stadium. It did look like they just sort of, you know, painted out the javelin marks and stuff. And, you know, it, it, it was too patchy for a, for a tournament. So, yeah. Yeah, technical areas were too big as well. And, and Luis Enrique probably didn't need all of those pockets on his trousers. But uh, at the end of the day, those two teams would probably be quite happy with a point given uh, the way they came into this game. So that was a late game in Group E. Earlier, Poland played Slovakia. If I was to ask you what comes to mind when I say Slovakia, you'd probably say it's the home of John Bon Jovi's grandma. Uh, and you'd be right. However, the football team threatening to usurp Granny Bon Jovi as the country's most famous citizens. In St. Petersburg on Monday, they kicked off their Group E campaign with a 2-1 win against Poland, whose resolve to keep the faith with Paolo Sosa might well be tested. Uh, the winner came from Inter defender Milan Skriniar, who shot through the heart of the Poland defence. This after Wojciech Szczesny had found the ball slippery when wet, his own goal had Slovakia in front, only for Karol Linetti to level seconds after the restart. Slovakia will keep going, though, and Poland had to take some bad medicine after Gregor's Krakowiak was sent off. Jimbo will be back later on in the tournament. Don't worry, guys. (laughs) the shit jokes, they were better. I found myself a couple of hours ago scrolling through Spotify looking at Bon Jovi's greatest hits and yeah. Don't pretend you don't do that. I mean, obviously, the actual correct answer is Peter Sagan is the most famous man from Slovakia. But again, that probably just hammers home the size of Slovakia in some ways. But yeah. I'm going to guess he's a cyclist. Blank face. Yeah, he's a a pretty big, (laughs) famous cyclist. But yeah, so... Massive win for Slovakia this though, isn't it? Particularly given what happened in the other game. They probably only need mm. another, what, point or two and, and they'll be through to the knockouts again for the third tournament in a row. 
Yeah, I mean, fans of the Velvet Revolution had a great day, didn't they, with the Czechs and the Slovaks both winning on the, on the same afternoon. That kind of <laughs> happened too often. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a, one of those games where Poland obviously struggled in the first half, scored, you know, 30 seconds into the second half, which is exactly what you want as a manager, um, and then proceeded to still blow it. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of records that have kind of fallen by the wayside in this first few days of the Euros. You know, Italy have finally scored more than two, England have finally won their opening game, but Poland have got this ridiculous scoring record at the Euros where they've never scored more than one goal in a game. And actually, you talk about Spotify there, Matt. I was looking through, because it reminded me of, you know, the song Robots by Flight of the Concords. Um, there's a binary solo, and if you actually read out in a chronological order Poland's scoring, it goes at the Euros. Binary solo. Zero one zero one one zero one zero one one one. So I mean, it's pretty close. So uh, yeah, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine, a, a, a Polish, a Polish journalist, um, earlier tonight in the wake of the game, um, and he. He said, in Poland, people say that the team always plays three games at a major tournament. Their opening fixture, their last chance and the game to save their honour. And it's pretty much <laughs> going down the same route, isn't it? With a, with Paolo Sosa in, in, in charge. I think there's a, there are a few doubts about him. I mean, he's obviously had a difficult start. I think he's only been Andorra since he's taken over um, at the start of the year. But it, it does seem to, without Milic and without Piatek there as well, to offer some kind of support to Lewandowski, they just looked... A bit rudderless first half, and and then just as they're they're getting up some rhythm and a bit of a head of steam in the second, they go and get Krzysztof sent off, and and it's back to the wall from that moment on. I, I I felt for them, but again, it just felt as if that's a team that's going to have no luck, and it never has any luck at a major finals. Yeah, Lewandowski was a, a passenger in that game, but he probably would have got a hat trick if he'd been wearing a Scotland shirt earlier in the day. And what was it about Emma Hayes? on the mic, on co-coms for ITV that everybody enjoyed so much. I have to say, I'm, I, I went and met Emma last week for to write a column with her for The Athletic. And she I mean, she is, I mean, I don't know how to really sum it up. She, she's she's brilliant. She When she talks about football and, and she talks about even, even complicated aspects of tactics, there's a clarity to it all. And she makes very, very complicated concepts very very simple to understand which is perfect for me um <laughs> and and in that scenario as well as a co-coms i know she's done quite a lot over the over the years um but she was just just superb it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody really who's he's he's listened to her before but it's it's also that level of um enthusiasm as well i think you know it's the same similar to mccoist in some other evenings in this tournament where it's the kind of enjoyment of watching the game and spotting stuff and and you know bringing your experience into the co-commentary and I think people really recognize when people do that and I think you know it's funny isn't it because I think people always did but until social media kind of came around a decade ago there wasn't really a channel to kind of sort of make that clear but I think now that it is and I think I, I would posit that the standard of commentary and co-commentary in the last 10 years has gone up a lot because, you know, I was watching some old games for a project a couple of weeks ago and had the commentary from the 90s and it it was a lot of he'll be disappointed with that just over and over again. So 
Yeah, Emma Hayes, one of the many great guest columnists that The Athletic have got for Euro 2020. And you can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020, brackets in 2021, close brackets, all the articles, all the podcasts, ad-free and Q&As with writers too. Just a pound a month for your first six months. So head to theathletic.com slash totally. So that was Monday. What about Tuesday's games? Hang fire. We'll be there in a jiffy. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, host of The England Show, brought to you daily throughout Euro 2020. I'll be joined by writers from The Athletic and special guests to bring you unrivaled coverage dedicated to the England team this summer. So for expert insight into Southgate's squad and post-game reaction to all the games, search for The England Show wherever you get your podcasts or via The Athletic app. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Group F, F for Fearful, gets underway on Tuesday. It includes the first truly titanic tussle of the tournament, France and Germany squaring up in Munich. Only the second time they've met in this competition following Le Bleu semi-final victory five years ago. Uh, Duncan, as we know, writing off the Germans was banned some time ago. Would you dare to, to walk on the wild side in that regard? I think there's actually been a slight reassessment of Germany in the last few days. I think everyone's been sort of, you know, uh, saying they've been they're going to do badly for so many weeks. That suddenly everyone's like, "Hang on, hang on, are we walking into a huge <laughs> trap?" I mean, them going to back three has has kind of helped them look a bit more um, solid, and you know, the, the different units are kind of linking up better. But yeah, I mean, this game, I actually think it's going to because this comes after the Portugal game, and I think the result of the Portugal game might. Um, affect how this game is played. I think if, say, Portugal drop points against um, Hungary, then I think both these teams will know they can pretty much go all out to try and win the match. So we could that could set up an absolute classic uh, game between them. You know, it's, it's essentially the biggest European Championships game you can have. France have got the joint most wins in the competition, and this will be Germany's 50th game, which is probably more than anyone else. Um, so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. What about France, Dom? They've got this stack squad, but does the starting eleven pretty much pick itself? I guess Tolisso or, or Rabiot is maybe one selection dilemma. We'll assume that Karim Benzema has not been brought back to, to sit on the bench. No, and, and the, the sort of the suggestion in France is that Rabiot will get the nod in midfield and that that front three of Mbappe, Benzema and Griezmann will, will start the game. Uh, with Giroud to come off the off the bench if required and and uh, not receive any passes from Killian, um, it's 
they they they're awesome to look at on on paper. They're absolutely awesome. But this week, actually, and, and that little spat between Mbappe and, and Giroud is an indication that this is this will always be a team and a squad that that is capable of self self destruction and and you know just imploding when they should have the world at their feet. And you know they're world champions, obviously, and they they should they should be overwhelming favourites for this tournament but just have to be wary on that and and they're making all the right noises Hugo Lloris spoke at his press conference in in Munich this evening saying that it's 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 sort of been put to bed now that that, that, that um Giroud went to find Mbappe the day after the the Bulgaria game and, and spoke with him and explained that he said some things in the heat of the moment and that he didn't mean them in a critical way but the, the very fact that it's rumbled on with Kylian Mbappe in the in the day since and he's been a player that never does press conferences yeah. suddenly does a press conference over the weekend. I mean, it, that, I think that's indicative of how stung he felt by it all. When Giroud plays, Mbappe will be further away from Giroud than he than he is from, say, a Benzema or a, or a Griezmann even because of the style of their play. And, and people have been... In fact, the idea that was put to Mbappe in his press conference was, you know, it's not going to be the same as playing with Neymar or, or, or playing with Griezmann. Um when you've got Giroud on the team, because you're automatically going to be further away from him. And, and he sort of acknowledged that that was, yeah, potentially part of the problem. But but this is the problem when you've got a, a squad, I think, as good as France's with, with so many players in that peak, uh, you, you know, age range. You know, they're not like in England with a lot of young players who, you know, prodigiously talented. But you could, if, if say, Jadon Sancho didn't get a minute of, of action in the whole tournament, he wouldn't be happy about it. But I don't think it would cause like a squad meltdown. But France, they've historically had that issue sometimes. And they just feel like a, like a squad where a lot of players will be annoyed if they don't get the sort of playing time that they think they deserve, particularly when you've already got Giroud and then they've brought Benzema back as well. So, yeah, I think for Germany, I think, you know, if if they're going to be vulnerable, this this might be the the best time. So again, I think it, it kind of it would make sense for Germany to go all out for at least for the first ten minutes and see see what happened. It's a fabulous game in prospect. Uh, Didier Deschamps looking to become only the second man to win the Euros as a player and a manager. Who can tell me who the first was? Um, I got it straight away. By the way, not not to oh, put any right. pressure on, but yeah. It's one of the teams we've just been talking about. He was the manager and Klinsman? player of. No, he wasn't. No, more close. Um, Beckenbauer, no. Bertie Vokes, no. It is Bertie Vokes. Yeah, Bertie Vokes. Bertie Vokes. Wow. Yeah. I never even imagined Bertie Vokes could be a footballer, let alone win the mm. Euros. But and sometimes known as Bertie Mac well, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. That's it. That's Scotland yeah. tenure. Jeez. Mm. Pertinent. Wow. Uh, well, before France-Germany, the two other teams in Group F will meet in Budapest, Hungary taking on Portugal. Uh, this will be a proper home game for the host. They'll be back by a 100% capacity, 60,000 strong crowd at the Pushkas Arena. Earlier, to talk all things Hungary, I spoke with Thomas Mortimer, founder of HungarianFootball.com. Thomas, some, some people might not have been keeping up to date with, with the Hungary team since they topped their group before going out to, to Belgium in the last 16, five years ago. How, how have things been since then? Um, it's been a roller coaster, actually. We've had, we've had real, real lows and we've had some um, real, real highs, to be honest. And when I say we've had some real lows, we, we actually lost to Andorra since um, 
since the last Euros. We lost to Luxembourg. We've we lost to Kazakhstan all in the same year. Um, when the Euro qualification came around, we changed manager to Marco Rossi, who was um, uh, who won the league at Honved in Hungary. Um, he's, he's been in the league a, a while and also used to manage a Hungarian Slovakian team, which a Hungarian team which uh, um, a, a, who play in Slovakia. Um, it's a bit complicated, um, but so he is kind of someone who's really thrown himself into the culture of the of the country, and and since he's come in, he's really changed the fortunes. Really, the reason why we are at this tournament is because we got in through the Nations League against Iceland. And when I say um, we've been to maybe as high point as it, if we've ever been, this was probably uh, the 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 ultimate high. Really, um, we were one nil down with. Uh, three minutes to go. Loic Nago comes on and, and scores an equaliser. And then in, in added time, Dominic Soboslai picks up the ball in his own half, beats a couple of men and then smashes one in the bottom corner to take us to the Euros. So it, it's been, yeah, like I say, a roller coaster, some incredible lows and then that incredible high um, back in November time. And then since then, we've had three World Cup qualifiers, um, one, two against Sandora and San Marino, avenging. Um, the defeat against Andorra and then um, got a 3-3 respectable draw against Poland where we were the better team so yeah a wild ride to be honest You mentioned Soboslai earlier obviously he's not going to be involved and and he's your kind of star man and, and only eight goals managed in qualifying which I guess means keeping things tight at the back is going to be important easier said than done given the strength of attacking opposition you'll be facing but but Hungary do have a very capable goalkeeper in, in Peter Galashi. Yeah, um, Soboslai is, is a huge miss. Um, he brings a, a dynamism and spark and flair, which Hungary are kind of without, almost completely with, without him in the side. Roland Shalai is, is probably the one player who can create something from nothing. Um, but apart from that, it's few and far between. And like you say, in, in qualification, we didn't score many goals. And in general, we don't really score too many goals at all um our only player in in the uh in the squad who has more than double figures is Adam Zolai and he only scored one goal with Mainz this season and he's a striker so that kind of shows kind of where we are our third top scorer in the in the squad is Willy Orban who's a centre half um so if if we do go 1-0 down it's going to be um uh, very troubling to get that back and I think we will struggle for sure but like you say defensively we are sound Having Gulacci, who's who a lot of people say is one of one of Europe's best goalkeepers, he's not particularly done it for Hungary to be honest. Um, but he is, yeah, more than capable. Uh, Willy Orban, like I mentioned, he is his top quality defender, who was being touted as one of Bundesliga's best defenders this season, and um, who scored actually put him in their top five uh, leagues team of the season as well. Obviously, he's more than capable. We've got Attila Zalai who. Maybe not a lot of your listeners would have would have heard of, but I think you might hear of him soon because he's had a, a incredible six months at Fenerbahce since moving there, um, and is touted to to move to a, a top league soon. I think if he performs well over three games, um, then yeah, he'll he'll get a move to the Premier League or the Bundesliga or something like that. Um, and and those three players in particular form a real real base um, for Hungary to kind of to build upon a little bit. Um, but they are, yeah, really, really strong players. Um, un- unfortunately, Hungary play with a back three, so 
the, the two centre halves don't play with each other and there's going to be someone who plays either in Cyprus or uh, in Hungary um, at the back with them and that's the kind of the problem we have we have some really really fantastic players some of Europe's best uh, in their positions and then we have um, a lot of sprinkling of players who based in Hungary based in Slovakia based in Cyprus so yeah that is a bit of a problem for us Finally, Thomas, one thing that will be in your favour is is the full house at the Pushkas Arena, certainly for the for the Portugal game. How's that been made possible? Is there concern about how safe it is, and and how much an advantage do you think it could be? I think it's been made possible by Orban's love in inverted commas of football. Like he's used football almost as a symbol of power, really, of his leadership, and I think to display that across Europe. Um, I don't think he could have really turned that down. Um, but to be fair, like the vaccination rollout is the best in Europe, uh, in, in, the, in the EU, sorry. Over half the population have been vaccinated now and the death rate is lower than it's almost ever been since COVID became a thing. Like there was actually no deaths in the country yesterday. Um, so in fairness, like they have done a very, very good job. When this was first announced, they were, it was it was seen as being like what is going on basically um but they have done very well since so i think that's how they have achieved it and whereas yeah a month or two ago it would have felt like this is a a really really dangerous thing to happen i think now they are definitely yeah a lot further down the road and and the atmosphere will be unbelievable I, i think i think it'll be the best i mean i i'm almost certain it'll probably be the best um atmosphere at the Euros really like having Hungary play in front of a full house anytime is is an incredible sight to be honest the fans are just unbelievable they're vociferous but not aggressive they're not like crazy like ripping up seats and and going mad they're they're kind of tempered uh, vociferousness I guess Um, so yeah that will be really really spectacular for everyone watching and and it will give Hungary a huge edge because Hungary are good at home like I say in qualifying um, we beat Wales and Croatia at home so it does make Hungary a different beast and um, I think despite the concerns that were there I think it's it's something maybe to just enjoy as, as a fan really Thomas Mortimer there uh, Portugal, Dom. A lot of people tipping them. João Cancelo's not involved. Diego Dallo has come in for him after Cancelo tested positive for COVID-19. They've got the top scorer in Serie A, the second highest scorer in the Bundesliga and the third highest scorer in the Premier League. They're, they're all encouraging stats, but is there a danger they'll just be too knackered? I know that's a thing for everybody, but you know, Fernandez fatigue was a talking point throughout last season. Ronaldo's 36, João Martinho's 34, Pepe, if he plays 38, Ruben Diaz and, and Bernardo Silva played right up until the end of the season in the Champions League final. Do you think that they've they've got enough depth in the squad to to get through the group and, and get into the, the latter stages again? Well, they didn't have enough, the same level of depth in 2016 and they won that one. So but they're in an easier would... group then, weren't they? So they, they had a softer start to the tournament and they could kind of... yeah. Stumble yeah, but it their may way galvan- the group stage. It, it may galvanise them, and a lot of these guys will be in a, in in a certain rhythm at the start of the at the start of the group. So, so maybe maybe that will benefit them. I just I just look at their, their squad, and it's just there's just so much quality, even with Cancelo not not around. It's, I mean, it's it. 
there's a staggering amount of talent in there. And I, it sort of sn- snuck up on me a bit because I've just been so sort of France obsessed and obviously over here everybody's been talking England, but but they've, they're just so much better than they were five years ago. They're so much better than they were five years ago. And and, and he, he, you'd never want to write off Cristiano Ronaldo, particularly given that how strangely that evening went at the Stade de France in back in 2016 when it was all meant to be about him and he ended up as an yeah. assistant manager. I just wonder whether he's got one final swan song at this level and he might he, he might inspire something. I, it's, you're right, it's a very difficult group, but but you'd expect them to get out of the group, even if it was finishing third. And then beyond that, I wouldn't want to wouldn't want to play them. No. Well England probably almost certainly will, it feels like. Yeah. But yeah, I mean I think it's interesting about Ronaldo because if you look I thought earlier on today watching Lewandowski that, you know, he he clearly struggles playing for Poland compared to Bayern, obviously. But and Messi has the same issue a lot of the time with Argentina. But Ronaldo has kind of risen above that through sort of sheer force of will. But you wonder whether it will backfire eventually because uh, he's on forty nine direct free kicks at, at major tournaments. Um, so pretty sure we'll see the fiftieth at some point against uh, Hungary. He's only scored one. I mean, obviously everyone remembers the one in that hat trick against Spain at the, at the World Cup, but. You know, technically, they now have a better free kick taker in the form of Bruno Fernandes and possibly others as well. But none of them are going to get the ball off Ronaldo, are they? So um, his longevity is mad. Dennis Wise played in the last Euros that Ronaldo didn't score in. So just to kind of put some <laughs> some context around that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine I, he'll get a couple of penalties, a minor muscle injury and a bit of shouting. That's, yeah, my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Dennis Wise, we're going to talk some more classic Euro stuff uh, shortly. First, though, let's get some odds from Paddy Power and head over to Producer Ben. Thank you very much, Matt. I am here with Graham Byrne from Paddy Power to look ahead to the two games tomorrow. Um, we're going to start off with Hungary versus Portugal. Portugal, I imagine, are the red-hot favourites here. But, Graham, what sort of odds would I get Hungary to beat them? Yeah, the prices at the moment, Hungary are 15 to 2, the draw is 16 to 5, and you're quite correct. Uh, Portugal are 2 to 5 red hot favourites for this one, Ben. Now, Hungary, they are at home, they have got home advantage, they will have the crowd behind them over there, and 15 to 2 is a fair enough price, I reckon. Maybe they might think with uh, Jao Cancelo going out uh, with the COVID, he will be missing the game. That might unsettle the Portuguese a bit, but it's still got a lot to ask for. They have their own injury problems. They're missing one of their main men, uh, Dominic Sobaslai from RB Leipzig. He's a key influential midfielder for them he scored a goal that qualified them from this but he's got a hamstring he'll be missing out on that and he is a big hammer blow for the Hungarians that is why they are 15 to 2 Portugal are 2 to 5 I think most people will be considering them to be banking material for this okay let's go on to the second game which is France versus Germany it's going to be a good game can you give me the markets please on France going two or more in this one yeah, France at the moment are eight to five to score two or more goals. It's going to be fascinating to see uh, the team selection out there tomorrow. Uh, France, many people's favourites for it at the moment. They are five to one joint favourites with England for the tournament. But this is going to be an acid test for them here in this game against Germany. I think Germany are flying under the radar a bit here. But France are very much fancied by a lot of people to start banging in the goals. They've got the attacking talent from all over the park to get the goals. And if you fancy them get two or more against Germany, eight to five is the price for that. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four-plus-fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. 
£10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On this day in Euros history, 15th of June, the 2-0 win for England over Scotland at Euro 96, 25 years ago today. Gaza's goal, Yuri Geller's rolling, Gary McAllister's penalty miss. He moved the ball for us with the power of his mind. He since expressed regret for using his powers for unethical purposes. Okay. Um, That's ranking the top five. Yeah, yeah, let's not go there, but yeah. <laughs> Dom, I've got this vision of, of Phil Foden, blonde bonds and all, looping the ball over Grant Hanley's head and then volleying it past David Marshall, lying on his back, having a, a bottle of LucasAid sport <laughs> sprayed into his mouth and then, uh-oh, here comes the VAR review, goal ruled out. Um, yeah, <laughs> and we lose that magic moment. For being derivative. <laughs> I actually wonder whether Jack Grealish plays in this game rather than Phil Foden. Yeah. Actually, just to just to scupper this from the start, I do I do, I do think that it might be a a chance for England to just demonstrate the depth of quality they have in those areas. And it doesn't they don't need to play all these these guys every mm. week and every game rather. And and you know you've got Foden there. You mentioned all the City players previously in the Portugal section. Maybe maybe there's an opportunity there to to swap them around and give Grealish a run from the left. Duncan, you pointed out the other day that that, that win against Scotland in 96 was, was one of two that England managed in that glorious Euro 96 <laughs> campaign in, yeah. in 90 minutes. And, and even that game, like you know, England won it 2-0, but it was really close up until McAllister missed the yeah. penalty. And it was kind of that and Jamie Redknapp coming on at half-time that changed it. Massive, yeah. Yeah, there's been... Um... There's been a lot more oral histories of Euro 96 than there were England wins in that tournament. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was that game was incredibly tense because England really had blown it against Switzerland, obviously taking the lead and, and then drawn. And yeah, if, if that penalty had gone in, it was um, it would have been a disaster. I think. I don't think they would have recovered because they were not playing well at all. I mean, the first half, England were atrocious against Scotland. But, you know, Gaza, etc. I mean, if we're going to complete the Spotify references for the night that that game was famously referenced in the first big weekend by Arab Strap um, and they one line is like they planned to watch England game but fell asleep and awoke to find out that England had won 2-0 so there you go <laughs> uh, Pat Nevin if you're listening I'm, I'm sure you enjoyed that very much back to 2021 or Euro 2020 up to 45,000 spectators will be allowed into Wembley for the knockout stages games which are being played there um it's clearly not not as significant as the Wimbledon tennis tournament, but it's um, it's better than twenty two and a half thousand, I suppose. Yeah, it's, that's it's been great, hasn't it? Let's be honest, it's been great the last few days hearing proper crowd noise, hearing a din. Even when I mean, that go back to the Hamden Park and and that that pre match din, which is drowning out Steve Clark's pre match press conference or pre match media briefing that's taking place on the touchline, and, and he can't hear the reporter who's five yards away I mean that is brilliant that's what we've been craving for 15 16 months so a- absolutely fantastic there'll be there'll be people there um and more people there um hopefully it works in in England's favor later in the in the tournament but I mean I can't wait to hear the noise in Hungary I mean it's that's if they've got 60,000 people turning up there I mean remarkable they're doing that but but it's going to be it's going to be like the old times, isn't it? Like in the old days, remember when we got people in the stadium? Fantastic. <laughs> Unlike Euro Night Six, eh? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even sell out Euro Night Six, did they? They were actually empty seats in those stadiums. 
City Ground and St James's Park both had sub twenty thousand people games. So, but you know, greatest summer ever. So, in terms of a, a bold prediction for Tuesday, Dom, are you going to give Hungary the the W because they're going to be backed by a, a fervent and massive crowd? Is is there anything else that that you're hoping they expecting to see from from the matches coming up on Tuesday? Um, no, I want to I want to see evidence that that these stellar three teams in that group um, are as good as we think they are, really. And um, I imagine that's that's what we will witness. Um, I, I I agree with Duncan. I mean, the second match will will be probably greatly shaped by what happens in Budapest. Um, but I'd expect Portugal to stamp their authority all over that fixture. It would be a surprise if they didn't, even in the face of 60,000 Hungarian supporters. And and then everything about the Germany-France game is mouth-watering. It's just, it's just going to be... I mean, those are two, two properly elite teams coming up against each other. And it's... it's if, if There's been an element of... It's been great. I've enjoyed the tournament so far, but... Aside from the sort of the unlikely comeback by the Ukrainians against the Dutch, we haven't really had a game which has been properly end to end, where both teams can are going at each other and scoring goals and have the have the capacity to open each other up. There've been a lot of matches where one team has been very very obviously blunt in front of goal, and for for all their best efforts, they can't really hope to prise the other one apart. And and here we've got a chance for Germany and France to you know, to show how the other half live. Duncan, you got something big and bold that's going to happen on Tuesday. Maybe Portugal get a penalty and Ronaldo picks up the ball and says, here you go, Bruno, you can, you can have this one. Mate. Yeah, all right. yeah, this is for <laughs> you. Um, I mean, Ronaldo might try and score from a direct free kick from inside his own half, maybe, I don't know. But uh, I mean, remember at the last year, it's, this game was 3-3. They played each other then. It was one of the best games in the group stage. So another one of those would, uh, would be good. And then in the France, Germany, I think, we want a classic game. And I was trying to think what would be it. What's the classic score in a in a tournament game between two giants? I think I think three two is probably the best score. Four three is a bit too too many goals, isn't it? But so maybe like a two two going into the final ten minutes, and then a proper late winner from from someone at either end. Mm. So uh, yeah, I mean they're bound to both end nil nil now. But <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> let's hope. Three two is somebody coming back from from two nil down because we all know that that is that doesn't happen. Very yeah. dangerously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, that'll wrap things up. We'll be back same time tomorrow to reflect on the effing action from Tuesday and look ahead to a pair of Group A games. Also, Finland versus Russia in Group B. Until then, many thanks to Dom, to Duncan, to Tom Ash, and of course to producer Charlie. Mainly to you, though, listener. Look forward to catching up again soon. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally to find out all the latest subscription offers. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.